Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes, and tonight I do not have my normal co-host, Caleb, with me. It is, uh, well, I don't know if it's Caleb's wife's birthday, but I do know that uh, Caleb is out with his wife celebrating her birthday. So he might not be here at all. If he's able to jump in at the end of the episode, he's going to try to do it. But you might just be stuck with me the entire time. Before we jump in, I would like to just remind everyone of what is coming up next week. So uh, a week from today, we are going to get into when ye fast. So that's a quote out of the Bible, and that's when Jesus was teaching people how to fast. So we're going to go over uh, the topic of fasting, what the Bible says about it, should we be doing it, and we're going to have a good time talking about that. Tonight, we are talking about the devil, and uh, the title of tonight's episode is The Devil is Real. We are going to get into the Bible and talk about a lot of scripture. We're going to talk about where the devil came from. We're going to talk about his goals. We're going to be talking about his destiny because the Bible has a lot to say about the devil. For those of you following us and watching us on Facebook, uh, please be sure to get on Spotify and download the podcast. So we finally got all of our episodes up on Spotify. Just get on there and search for Bible Thumper. As I said, Caleb's probably not going to be with us, so I'm definitely going to be relying on a bunch of you to ask some questions to move this thing along. Otherwise, it's kind of just going to be me teaching a lesson on the devil. Let's start off with a little bit of Bible. So we're talking about the devil. So let's start off with uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. The Bible tells us, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The question is, are we ignorant of Satan's devices? The Bible says that we should not be. We should be informed about the devil. That's what the Bible says, so that's why we study him. The Bible has a lot to say about the devil. Do you know where the devil came from? Do you know where the devil is going, what his destiny is? Do you know what Satan's plan is? Do you know what his tactics are? Do you know about his workers? Do you know how powerful the devil is? The Bible tells us answers to all of these questions, and it's a good idea to understand this. So that way we can identify when the devil is involved with an idea, with a group, with a person, and we can summarily reject that. We want to turn to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. That's where we're going to start. Here is one of the more descriptive stories about the devil and where it came from. So we read, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart. So now God, through the prophet Isaiah, is going to quote the devil right here. And this is still while the devil was in heaven serving God. And these are the thoughts that he had we see that the number one sin that brought the devil down was his pride and his covetousness. We pick it up here in verse 13, quoting the devil, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. 
I will be like the most high. Verse 15 says, yet thou shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. The devil wanted to be like God. That was his whole goal. And we're going to see what happened shortly after this. It's explained in the book of Revelation, a few other places, but we're going to keep going through through here with a little bit of scripture and just give you kind of the whole story of the devil. We read again an allegory about the devil in the book of Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, when you start reading this chapter, you get the feeling that it's talking about a certain person. I'm going to explain how this works in a second. Hopefully, we're all familiar with what an allegory is. So in Ezekiel chapter 28, starting in verses 1 and 2, we read, The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus. Thus saith the Lord God, because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God, in the midst of the seas, yet thou art a man and not God, though thou set thine heart as the heart of God. Okay, so this is an allegory, and it starts off talking about uh, the prince of Tyrus. But we find that Ezekiel shifts gears here, and he starts talking about the power behind the Prince of Tyrus. So Ezekiel chapter 28, moving up to verses 13 through 19, we read, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. So right there, we know we're obviously not talking about the Prince of Tyrus because we are thousands of years in the future from Genesis you know, chapters one, two, and three in the Garden of Eden. So now we're talking about the power behind the Prince of Tyrus, and, and you'll see very quickly that we are talking about uh, Satan here. Uh, let's read that again. Verse 13, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. So we're talking about a created being, and believe it or not, you heard it right, we are talking about a created being that somehow had musical instruments incorporated into his creation. So there have been lots of ideas about what that means. Does that mean that as the devil would uh, fly through the air that uh, music was made as it was whistling through him? Does it mean that he was possibly in charge of the choir or the chorus or the music in, in heaven? Uh, lots of ideas have been thrown around about this, but neither here nor there, what the Bible says is that musical instruments were incorporated into his creation. Uh, verse 14, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. Thou wast perfect in the ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. Verse 16, by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence and thou hast sinned. Verse 17, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. There's a lot that's explained here, so let's hit a few of the main points. The proper name given to Satan is Lucifer, and I believe we're going to read about that in just a little bit uh, when we get back into uh, the book of Isaiah. I think it's chapter 12. On top of that, 
we find out that he was a created being. He was created by the Lord Jesus. Remember, first uh, or Colossians chapter one verse sixteen tells us that Jesus was the creator. Jesus created everything. Uh, it explains that very clearly several times in the Bible. Uh, Colossians chapter one verse sixteen is one of the most explicit portions of the Bible that describe that Jesus was the creator, and he created Lucifer. Uh, we find out later that Lucifer was one of three archangels. There was Lucifer, Gabriel, and Michael. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get into all the, that scripture, but we find out that they were cherubs. They all had angels that were subservient to them, that worked under them, if you will. Understand that an angel and a cherub are two different celestial beings. Uh, they're not the same. Angels do not have wings. Cherubs do. We also find that he was perfect until he sinned and he rebelled against God. Okay, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, we continue and find out what happened after uh, Lucifer had pride come into his heart and he was covetous of the position that God had. We find out in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels. See, that's possessive. So that's what I was talking about before. Under Michael, there was a group of angels, and under Lucifer, the devil, or Satan, or the dragon, all names for the same being, there were his angels, angels that he was in charge of. In verse 8, uh, or let me just start with verse 7 again and read through it so, so it makes sense. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him." As you can see, the story of the devil is scattered throughout the Bible. So you have to have a good general understanding of the Bible. And as you come across these portions of scripture, you got to kind of collect them into, you know, I collect them into a word file here, and then you put a study together. But you find that with every doctrine in the Bible, there is no chapter on salvation. There's no chapter on the devil. There's no chapter on the millennial reign of Christ. It's scattered throughout the Bible. As I was saying, the, the stories about uh, Lucifer, the devil, Satan, are scattered throughout the Bible. So you have to kind of compile them and put them together before you can complete your study on the subject. What the Bible calls a beautiful cherub, Lucifer, was cast out of heaven to earth and became the prince of darkness and his angels were cast out of earth or cast out of heaven as well. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So again, it's it's repeated again and again throughout the Bible. The devil fell from heaven. He was a created being by Jesus. He was in heaven, and then he sinned and fought a war against. God and the other angels and uh, lost and was cast down to earth. Satan is here on earth and a terrible feud develops because at this point, Satan understands that he is not getting back into heaven. The only way he can get back into heaven is if he is able to defeat God. 
and the odds are not good. He already fought once. Uh, the war did not go his way. Furthermore, he is outnumbered two to one. Uh, and we're going to see later on in the book of Revelation that the devil and his angels made up one third of the angels that were in heaven. So you have Michael and his angels, you have Gabriel and his angels, you have Lucifer and his angels. Well, Lucifer and his angels, the fallen angels, after they lost the war, were all cast out. So now the fallen angels are outnumbered two to one. So in any war they go up against, they do not have great odds. That is a motivation for some mischief that they cause later on in Genesis chapter six and at various other times throughout the world and in the world's history. But we're not going to get off into the weeds, no matter how much you'd like to hear about that. We can talk about that another day. Here in Genesis 3, verse 15, we kind of pick up the story. And it says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is after the devil tempts the woman to eat the fruit of the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was in the midst of the garden that God commanded the man and the woman, or God commanded the man, and the man was supposed to relay that message to the woman. So the one commandment that they had, the devil uh, tempts the woman, she eats the fruit, she talks to the husband, Adam, uh, he eats the fruit, they're both in a fallen state. And this is God explaining to the devil that there's going to be enmity between uh, mankind and you, and the seed of the woman is eventually uh, Jesus Christ. And we find out the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent, which is a fatal blow. And the seed of the serpent is going to bruise the heel of, of the Messiah. And that's, we believe that means Jesus on the cross. Okay, so, so now you have this enemy. And what you got to understand is that the devil's plan is to destroy humanity and destroy the children of Israel. That is the plan of the devil that he implements and carries out throughout the whole Old Testament. Now, I am going to veer off for a second, and I'm going to kind of um, explain the way that this works when, when reading through the Old Testament. You can actually make a study, and it's very easy to do, where you follow the plan of God, and right next to that, you follow the plan of the devil. Whenever God makes a decision and makes it public, all of a sudden you see the, the focus of the devil's attack narrows. In the very beginning, there's Adam and Eve, so the devil attacks God's only creation. After that, you find out that it spreads throughout all of humanity, where the devil is trying to destroy all of humanity and corrupt all of humanity. And that's why God brings the flood in the days of Noah. Then you find out after that, that God selects one of the descendants of Noah to carry out his plan, and that's Abraham. From that point forward, you find out that the focus of the attacks of the devil is not on all of humanity, although he wants all of humanity to remain ignorant of the Messiah. He doesn't want anyone getting saved. But the focus of the attacks of the devil is now on Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, because he knows that the Messiah is going to come from that line. 
and he wants to wipe it out so that the Messiah cannot come, so humanity is doomed. Later on, we find out that it is revealed that the Messiah is going to come through the line of Judah. All of a sudden, it receives the attack of the devil. Then we find out it's the lineage of the family of David, and it receives the attacks of the devil. Whenever God makes his plan known as to where the Messiah is going to come, it is that line, that group that is specifically attacked so he can try to wipe out the Messiah. I'm not going to go any further on that idea right now because we could easily spend quite a bit of time. But I want you to understand that the devil has not given up. The devil is not in any way done with his plan, with his mission. He still wants humanity dead. He wants all of humanity lost. He doesn't want anyone saved. He wants the nation of Israel uh, wiped out. And now that the, the Messiah has come, <clears throat> uh, his goal is to make Christians ineffective. Okay, you're saved. Okay, well, there's nothing he can do about that. But if he can get you to be lazy and apathetic, then he is winning. If he can make sure that you do not give the gospel to anyone, if he can make sure that you remain scared to share your faith with people and see them saved, then the devil is winning. That's all he wants to do. He wants to fill hell because he knows that's where he's going. Let's go to 1 Peter 5, 8. Now, this is a pretty famous verse as far as, um, as, far as the devil goes. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We really need to clear up this one idea. You know, Caleb and I were talking about this a little bit earlier today. The, this podcast is aimed at Christians who read their Bible and just want to learn more about the Bible. This podcast isn't really aimed at non-believers, folks that are not saved, folks that don't go to church, folks that don't read their Bible. Now, with that being said, I, I have personal friends that tell me they listen to this podcast, even though they are not saved. I've tried to talk to them about uh, the gospel. They're not interested, but they listen to this podcast. I know there are non-safe people that listen to it, but my point, folks, is that this podcast is intended for those of us that read the Bible and understand the Bible and have some basic understanding of the things of God and just want to learn more. I feel silly even saying this because it should be common knowledge. The devil does not live in hell. There is nothing more frustrating than your child coming home from Sunday school and telling you that they learned today in the Bible that God lives in heaven and the devil lives in hell. No, he does not. He does not live in hell. He will not rule in hell. The devil is going to burn in hell. That's his destiny. But the devil does not live in hell. The Bible says he roams earth. This is where he is. This is where his work is. This is where the demons are. This is where the fallen angels are, except for the small specific group of fallen angels that God has locked up in the pit. And I understand that. And I'm, I, don't, I don't feel like I need to give that caveat, but, but either way, they are working here on earth to destroy us. 
They do not live in hell, neither will they reign in hell. Okay, so the, the devil is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan's plan is to destroy people, to destroy Christians, to destroy churches. Let's look at John chapter 8, verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth. As we can see, the devil is a murderer. His goal is to kill people. The sooner someone dies in a lost state, the happier he is. The sooner he can kill an effective Christian that is doing the work of the Lord, the happier he is. What you have to understand is the Bible describes it as spiritual warfare. It's not kind of like a, an inconvenience. It's not a neighbor next door that's kind of a bother and is a little bit inconsiderate and mildly annoying. This is a creature that wants you dead, wants your family dead, wants everyone you love dead. That is the mission of the devil and the, and the fallen angels and the demons. And he is a murderer. He is a liar. He is the father of all lies. Luke 22, verses 3 and 4 says, Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being one of the number of the twelve. This has always been a verse that concerns a lot of people because we find out that Satan enters into Judas. That tells us that Judas absolutely was not saved. How do we know that? We know that because in the book of John, in verse or in chapters 14 and 16, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit of God enters us and dwells in us when we get saved. Well, I hate to tell you, but when God lives inside of you, he does not let the devil enter you. The devil cannot possess a Christian. There is a demonic oppression where the devil can affect you and can try to get you down and try to get you distant from God. But the idea of the devil actually entering into you and having control over you in any way is impossible if the blood of Christ has washed away your sins. If the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, the devil cannot possess you. So fear not, that is absolutely impossible. The devil can still oppress you he can still work very hard to get you to be ineffective, to get you to be far from God, but it is impossible for the devil to actually possess you. Okay, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1, and he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Here we see that even when God's anointed, God's workers, God's preachers, God's prophets, God's people are working, doing the work of the Lord. We see that Satan is there, and Satan can also be used connotatively to uh, represent all of the demonic forces. <clears throat> they are there to resist you, to try to stop you. Satan is actively trying to shut down your church. 
Satan is actively trying to get your preacher to live in sin. Satan is actively trying to destroy the group of believers that you worship together with in any way that he can. Okay, that's his goal. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, we remember this one. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it <clears throat> and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so the background of the story was in the early church, many of the apostles, many of the disciples of Christ were going out. They were selling all their possessions, and they were bringing them and laying them down at the feet of the apostles. Now, this was not compulsory. They were not obligated to do this. They did this because they saw the work of the Lord needed financing, and they had a great love for God, so that is what they decided to do. And then the apostles used it as it was needed to further the gospel and help out people that were in need. So here, a couple, uh, a married couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they did the same thing. They sold a possession of a piece of land, but they didn't give all of it to the apostles. And there, there wasn't a problem with giving only some of it. That wasn't the issue. The issue was they lied about it, and they, they let on that they did uh, give all of it, but they actually held some back which was fine. That was their possession of land. They didn't have to give it all away. Don't, don't misunderstand the idea here in the story. Verse 3 says, pick it up in verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? So now we see in the next verse or two that um, Ananias and his wife's fire both ended up falling down dead uh, because of what happened here. But the lesson for us today about the devil is that Satan uses temptation and then sets up opportunity for the Christian to fall into sin. This is why the Bible tells us to flee from sin. There are many opportunities that we have to sin and sin happens when desire and opportunity meet. So one of the best defenses against sin for the Christian is never to allow the opportunity. An easy one that most married men have as, you know, a general rule is that you never get in a situation where you are alone with a woman. It's really impossible for adultery to happen if you're never alone with another woman. And it's an easy thing to avoid. But what you're doing, even if there's no desire there, even if you love your wife and you're faithful and you have no desire to ruin your life and her life and your kids' lives by this one stupid act, you still avoid the opportunity. You avoid the opportunity and then it doesn't matter if desire is there one day. In the, in the same way, do you handle cash for your boss? There's opportunity to be dishonest there. Okay, so can you figure out a good way where that can never creep in? The devil is going to set up opportunity, and then he is going to tempt you with the desire to sin. 
And when that desire starts to come up and that opportunity presents itself, all of a sudden the Christian can slip and they can fall into sin and then they have a problem that they have to deal with. So the easy thing is when the thoughts start to come into your head, okay, you immediately go to God with them and you battle that. And when you see an opportunity uh, approaching, you take steps to make sure that you're not in an opportunity to be able to sin. And if you're able to do those couple of things, you find out that you can really have victory over, a, you know, a great amount of sin that you're struggling with. And, and the Bible shows us here that the devil, he knows what you're struggling with. The devil cannot read your mind. Okay. But if you think that fallen angels or demons are not present watching you, you are insane. The, the devil has his workers out there watching you watching Christians, watching pastors and preachers, watching anyone doing something good for the Lord to figure out a way to set up an opportunity to ruin them, to ruin their witness, to ruin their effectiveness for uh, working for Christ. So Satan will set up these opportunities. So we have to be aware of that because remember, it is a war. Now, this one is going to really blow you away. Okay, but this one is uh, a neat one. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 13, we read about how Satan is involved in churches. Any student of history, and really I should probably say any student of war, understands how effective spies and sabotage can be. Here in Revelation chapter 2, verse 13, we read, I know thy works. And where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast them, there them, that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Okay, now, we are reading one of the letters that Christ wrote to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And the angel gave John uh, this, you know, to write down in the book of Revelation. And you can, you can read through it in the first couple chapters. It explains what's going on in that Jesus writes these seven letters to the seven churches. So in this one church, it talks about that there are those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam that are in their church. The idea that some of Satan's workers are infiltrating churches to try to turn them away from the Lord, to try to get them to, um, to uh, do the will of the devil rather than the will of the Lord, to spread discourse and disunity in these churches. This shouldn't be a surprise. This is what you do in wartime. There, it, <clears throat> there are spies. There is an active disinformation strategy. There is subterfuge. 
There is sabotage. These are tactics that we employ every time we are in a war with any country. And it, th this is something that the devil is doing in your church. I don't care how small or how big your church is, the devil is trying his best uh, to get some of his workers in there to disrupt uh, you learning about God, worshiping God, and actively going out into the world and finding the lost and giving them the gospel and seeing them saved. That is the goal of the devil. I'm going to go over uh, Satan's tactics here, and this is an important one, mostly because uh, Satan's tactics have not changed in about uh, 7,000 years. So Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, I'd like to say that it is a verse that probably we should all have memorized. This one verse tells us so much about the devil, it is insane. Number one, what is the very first attribute given to the devil? The first attribute that's used to describe the devil in the Bible is his subtlety. The devil is subtle. The devil doesn't kick down the door. He slithers in through a crack in the wall or down the chimney or whatever you want. He's subtle. He's patient. And his moves are calculated. What is the first thing that the devil says? When we read the Bible, the very first thing that is recorded that the devil says is, Yea, hath God said? Question mark. The first thing the devil does is he asks a question. And what does he question? He questions the word of God. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Keep in mind, at this point, there was only one commandment on earth. That's it. God told the man, you can eat of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God placed in the midst of the garden, you shall not eat of that tree. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Do you know that the number one tactic used by the devil today is questioning the word of God. And any church you go to, you find out that the devil has been doing a pretty good job. Because if there's one thing that Christians don't really believe, it's the word of God. More than anything, the devil has been able to cast doubt as to whether this book was written by God. You can call me a lot of things, but I believe this book. I don't think this is a book written about God. This is a book written by God. This is the book that has all the answers to every question that we could have. This is the book that contains all wisdom. This is the book where we are supposed to get the answers for every question we can come up with concerning our faith and practice. 
the devil more than anything in the world wants to attack the word of God. He doesn't want you believing that you can hold a copy in your hand. He doesn't want you believing that God wrote it. He doesn't want you believing that everything in it you can trust and you can believe and you can put your faith in and you can count on. The devil wants you to believe that this book might have some good things in it, but there is no way that it is actually written by God himself as a personal letter to you. The very first thing that the devil does, which is casting doubt upon the word of God in Genesis chapter three, verse one, is the exact same lie that he is doing today. He is doing it in every church. He is trying to repeat that over and over and over again in the ears of every preacher. He does not want... <clears throat> Fathers believing that uh, the Bible is the word of God. He does not want them teaching it to their children. He does not want us obeying this book. This book is the most dangerous thing to the devil. A Christian that believes the word of God is true scares the devil. We see this idea of subtlety uh, being uh, explained again and again in the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. How true is that? The simplest idea in the Bible that you on your own are lost and have no way of seeing your sins forgiven and having reconciliation with God. You cannot do it by yourself. You need the Lord, the simplicity which is in Christ. Jesus died on the cross, rose three days later, and he did it for you. The same Lamb of God that we saw back in the book of Exodus Okay, where the blood went on the doorpost, it's that same Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb that died so the blood can be applied to you, so your sins can be forgiven and you can go to heaven. Okay, it's not what Christ did and it is simply what Christ did. That's it. It is so simple. And how often is that messed up? And it is messed up. And, and, and the Bible explains right here in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, it says that the idea of messing up the simplicity of salvation through Christ, that is a tactic of the devil. He only needs you to get to, you have to believe a little bit different. And he can mess the whole thing up. The devil just wants you to believe that it is the blood of Christ and something else that gets you to heaven. That's all he needs you to do. Forget about the simplicity of, of Christ and the gospel. It is Jesus and something or Jesus minus something. Nope. It's simply Christ and Christ alone. That's all it is. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is Christ and only Christ and the work that he did on the cross that saves me. It's so simple. But how many churches have it messed up? How many Christians do not understand or believe the simplicity of the gospel? 
It's too easy. There has to be more to it. I can't be saved simply by looking onto the brazen serpent raised up in the midst of the desert on the pole. I can't simply look at that serpent and the poisonous venom running through my veins will be taken care of. That's too simple. That's what, that's what God did. That's how he saved the Israelites in the book of Numbers when venomous serpents, fiery serpents, went throughout the camp and were, and were biting everyone. And that is a picture of Jesus Christ. And Jesus explains that in John chapter 3 in the verses leading up to the most famous passage in the entire Bible, John chapter 3, 16. Jesus says, in the same way, I will be lifted up. The Son of Man will be lifted up. And all you have to do is look onto him and you will be saved. It is that easy but it is the simplicity in the Christ that is attacked and it is because of the subtlety of the devil. He just wants you to not believe that Jesus is the only way. Okay, Matthew chapter 26, verse four, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. Again, the attribute of the devil. Let's go to Acts chapter 13, verse 10, and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? So what you got to remember is that Satan does everything under the cover of darkness. Satan is sneaky. He does things in secret without anyone knowing. He is a coward. He will not fight you head on. He will do it through subtlety and subterfuge. Okay, that is the way that the devil uh, tries to win all of his battles. So just be aware of that. Uh, whenever you see things that are going on that are sneaky, that have to be done in secret, okay, that is not the way that God does things. Okay, God is transparent. He is of the light and he wants everything to be out in the open. I uh, got a couple more verses I want to get to here, and then it looks like Caleb might be able to join in here in a minute. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. I told you there were going to be a lot of Bible verses tonight. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Huh. Sounds like a popular story that a certain mainline church uses to describe how they started. You got to remember. If an angel of light come to you and tell you that it is from God and it has some good news for you, you can't just believe whatever it says. Satan himself was transformed into an angel of light. That's one of the many costumes he'll use. He'll use the serpent. He'll use the angel of light. He'll use the wolf in sheep's clothing. There's lots of costumes that the devil uses, and they are all listed in the Bible, and we need to understand what they are. Let me get into uh, one more idea here. And this is when the devil ends up tempting Jesus in Matthew chapter four. We read, then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down for it is written. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thy dash thy foot against a stone. The devil just quoted the Bible. So don't be surprised if someone quoting the Bible could be a worker of the devil. 
That in itself, holding a Bible, using the Bible, believing in God, that doesn't matter. That's not reason enough to trust someone. That is why we need to use the Bible and understand the Bible. The Bible is our filter. Everything we hear, everything we learn, we have to run it through the Bible and see if it agrees. If it doesn't agree with the Word of God, we reject it. So the devil uses the Bible. Now, I'm going to give you this really quickly, and then I'm going to bring someone in with me. When the devil quotes scripture, and you can look this up, so it's in Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, and the devil quotes from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, but you want to know what the devil did? He left out a little bit. He didn't quote the entire verse. And by changing the Bible just a little, it had a totally different meaning. And all of a sudden, he was using the Bible to try to trick Jesus when he was at his weakest in order to achieve his plans instead of Jesus following the plans of the Father. Just remember that the idea that the devil quotes the Bible um, shouldn't surprise us. So don't just believe anyone that uses the Bible. You want to be as smart as those fellas from Berea that we find in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Okay, they were more noble than those of Thessalonica in that they heard the word with readiness, uh, or they gladly received the word daily, but search the scriptures so to see if uh, search the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. There's so many times that Caleb and I have said this on this podcast. We have said, do not believe what we say. Take the word of God out and study to show thyself approved. Take the Bible, you study the Bible, and you make sure that everything that we say is true. Don't just take it for face value. We have just a few more Bible verses I wanted to get through uh, before uh, the end of the hour. So we have Jude chapter 1 verse 4. Uh, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, honoring the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is an idea that most people have trouble wrapping their minds around. There are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Hey everybody, I do apologize. The audio cut out at that point and we tried to get it back. We weren't able to do it. So that's the end of this episode. We can try to get on at another time and re-record this one, but that's all you get at this point. Have a nice day.